There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kramitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg Kraminski and Colin Andrews. And Greg, recently we've been focused on things like market downturns, drawdowns, what to do about it, what not to do about it. I mean, that's a conversation that's all around us right now. Is something happening in the market? Well, you could say that this bear has evolved. The bear market is called the bear market because it fights with a downward swipe. Did you know that? I didn't know that. And the bull market is called the bull market because the bull attacks upwards. Oh. little trivia for you. Makes sense. Today though, Greg, we are pleased to have join us somebody who's been on our show before. She was on episode 32 and now we're on episode 114. So it's been a while. It's been a minute, as the kids say, since she was on the show. And in that show, Greg... This person witnessed a vicious sorry fight. Do you remember that? Sorry, I don't, Colin. Sorry, Greg. You should remember this sorry fight. I'm sorry. I'll look it up, though. That's okay. Sorry about that. Anyways, let's move on. So Penny Phillips has spent most of her career coaching and consulting financial advisors, business owners, and wealth management institutions. She's the co-founder and president of Journey Strategic Wealth, a registered investment advisor built for advisors seeking independence and full-fledged practice management support. So prior to founding Journey, Penny ran a consulting and coaching firm called Thrivos Consulting, and she's had multiple jobs in the wealth management arena. But most importantly, she is here joining us today as she is a speaker that travels throughout the US and Canada. She runs a YouTube series called Practice Management with Penny, which I've had the pleasure of watching a few episodes of. And we're just so happy to have Penny Phillips join us today. Penny, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's so great to be here. I feel like I've aged from 32 years old to 114 years old in the last (laughs) year and a half. So thank you for having me back. A lot has happened since then. Well, it has. And as Colin was going through your bio, I realized you must have started in business as a young child because you've seemed to have done quite a lot. That is true. Everyone says that. I say (laughs) I've accomplished a lot in a short amount of time. It's not unheard of, folks. It's awesome, actually, is what it is. (laughs) It's great to see. So first of all, I know you travel a lot. So where are you joining us from today? Are you on the road? Are you at home? I am in lovely Summit, New Jersey, which for all anyone from the US listening, I'm a New Yorker. And I always say that. My office is in New Jersey. I live in New York City. Last week, I was in San Francisco at our West Coast office. And today I'm at our what we call home office in New Jersey. Well, great. So listen, a lot has happened. Since we spoke last a couple of years ago, a lot has happened in your business career. So, Well, in the world, a lot has happened well, in the lots, world. A lot has happened in the world. But tell us your story. What have you been doing since you were on the show last? Wow. So I spoke to you folks pre-pandemic, or we were just maybe at the, I guess, precipice early of days. it. Early, early days. Early days of it. Didn't really know how it was going to unfold and what was going to happen. And at the time... I was still running Thrivos, which I still own, by the way, still around coaching and consulting company, consulting folks, advisors and consultants in the US and Canada. And I was running a workshop program 
for advisors looking to build larger businesses and run them efficiently and build teams. And the pandemic really hit in 2020 and realized that the coaching business was probably going to change, realized that I probably wouldn't be able to come to Canada as often as I was coming at the time. And so I made a really large pivot. I will say I also noticed probably three years leading up to 2020s, the last three years, the consulting world was changing from helping advisors build efficient businesses within larger institutions to helping advisors leave completely and go independent and do their own thing. And I would say the US is a little bit ahead in terms of advisors making the shift to independence and the RIA space emerging in the US. And so I took a huge chance and said, instead of coaching and consulting advisors on how to build, why don't I build a firm that advisors want to come to and build at? And so approached a couple partners and we launched a firm called Journey Strategic Wealth. We're a registered investment advisor and independent firm in the US, attracting advisors who want to build, but really want full-fledged practice management support. So they join us, they're advisors, we help them run their businesses. And it's been a tremendous success despite I would say not ideal conditions in any sense of the word, market-wise, economy-wise, socially. So it's been an interesting two years. Where does the business stand right now? How many advisors have you got? So we have five advisors across three different teams. We're about $2.7 billion in assets. People always say, oh my God, how'd you do that in a year and a half? We launched with an anchor book, thanks to my two business partners who are advisors. We added a team Right when we launched out of Northwestern Mutual, fantastic financial planning team who joined us in San Francisco, we added another team this year and we're adding three more in October. So there's 17 of us all in across the two offices, multiple states, and we're building like everyone else. We're acquiring, we're partnering, we're building. Wow. Well, good for you. That's sort of like putting your money where your mouth is, isn't it? Exactly. You've coached advisors all those years, so good for you. Well, actually, that's a good point, Greg, because- They often say like, what are teachers? They're people who don't do or something like that. You're right. And I noticed this about, first of all, and I can say this unequivocally now, it's very different to coach advisors versus run a firm for them and actually operate the business with them. Two totally different things. But what coaches and consultants are good at is sort of being objective and evoking genius from people. Very different when you're actually running the business and have to make the decisions. So it's given me a new appreciation for advisors who've been able to build while being advisors. Very difficult. Well, they're very different skill sets, aren't they? I mean, in terms of up here, and you're right, the U.S. is way further ahead than Canada in terms of the independent channel. I mean, it is growing here, but it's still in its infancy. I think one of the things that scares a lot of people off the concept of moving independent is just that there's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of compliance and regulation and just the whole operating a business as opposed to working with clients. It takes a different skill set or both if you're lucky enough to have both. That's right. Listen, one of the things that's always struck me is as you're coaching advisors, you're helping them to build their businesses and that the core of being able to build a successful practice, of course, is the investor. It strikes me that the way that you probably help your clients or your advisors build their businesses is to really have a deep understanding of what investors actually are looking for, what they need, what they want, and that kind of thing. So with the current markets, bull markets are kind of easy in a way, bear markets not so much. So with the current markets, 
What should an investor look for when deciding who to invest their money with? Another great, loaded, complex question. The way I'll answer that is I'll answer a little bit less directly. I think our industry across both the US and Canada, we have used the terms investment management and wealth management interchangeably for a long time. Everybody calls themselves a financial advisor, wealth management advisor, financial planner, when the reality is is that the industry is split between folks who just do investments, still investment management, folks who, let's say, sell insurance and do more of the product sales, and then the folks who really do full-fledged wealth management, which in my mind, and I think how we define it, is inclusive of investment management, it's risk management, it's cash flow planning, it's retirement planning, it's emotion management, it's life decision management. And so I will say, going through what we've gone through now with the markets the last couple months, we haven't lost a client. We also haven't really had clients panic and say, what the heck is going on? And so for the end investor, I call the client or the consumer, I think it's important for us to educate them on the difference between wealth management and investment management. When you're working with an advisor that incorporates financial planning into their practice, drop-offs in the market don't feel threatening or risky to a client because they have a really solid understanding of where they're headed, what they need to do over the long term to get there. And they also have an understanding of if there are drop-offs in the market or if the market doesn't perform the way we expected it to, it's actually not going to derail the overall financial plan. So I say to the end client, look for advisors that don't just do investment management. And by the way, if you just want an investment management experience, you can get that experience for very cheap with a digital service provider. Algorithms, they do them in a really efficient way. You want an advisor that understands that it's about incorporating your money with all the other aspects of your life in a way that's puts you on a pathway for long-term goals and attaining them. So the problem is the investor doesn't know what they don't know. So they think that the advisor who's just investing their money for them and they're having conversations constantly about market performance, they think that's the right way or the normal way. Look for an advisor who does financial planning at their core. That's what I'd say. I got to follow up to that. So I'm going to pick on a company, I think specific to Canada. I might be wrong on this, Greg. But there's a company called Wealthsimple, and they have these ads that come out, and it's like these two brothers sitting around in their living room, and one of the brothers says, oh, he's still using mom and dad's guy. He's kind of making fun of how he pays too much for his services or something like that. Well, I saw on LinkedIn the other day, somebody I'm connected to who happened to work at Wealthsimple because they let go of 15% of their workforce because of the current downturn. And I replied to them on LinkedIn and said, Sincerely, I'm sorry to hear about your position. I can tell you that our little company isn't going to be letting go of anybody because of a market correction. Sincerely, mom and dad's guy. <laughs> so I think to your point, like there's always going to be somebody who can like execute trades cheaper if it's just about trading something, whether it's ETF stocks, whatever. But it's got to be more than that. Maybe you can Correct. expand on that a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. And look, Canada has had a robust fintech market. I mean, the money that poured into the digital advice landscape, I think Canada was maybe number one in terms of all of these digital service providers that emerged. But what I say to folks is keep in mind, many of these tools and technologies were built and have 
thrived during what felt like a perpetual bull market. So now we're really going to see the impact of the direct-to-consumer tools. But I think the wealth simples of the world did a much better job branding themselves than the wealth management advisors of the world. And so what I say to advisors is the consumer is now being forced, encouraged to make a decision between lowest cost or highest value. And this is not only true in our industry, it's in every industry. Think about the travel industry. It's cheaptickets.com to buy your flights or pay for a concierge travel agent to create an experience for you. That does include booking your flights, which costs nothing now, but also includes curating the hotel and the excursions and how you're going to get there. So what the concierge travel agent is actually doing is creating feelings for the consumer, feelings of security, lowering their stress, getting them excited, hopeful, helping them achieve goals that they want to achieve as it relates to their travel plans. Not dissimilar from what's happening in our industry. So the advisor has to figure out how do I prove highest value? So highest value is, of course, all the things that come along with investment management, rebalancing and trading and making sure that the money managers are doing what they should be doing and assessing risk and setting goals and resetting goals. But it's also about coordinating with your accountant, optimizing taxes, figuring out how to minimize taxes. If you own a business, helping you find valuation specialists to value your business and monetize it. It's about helping you manage cash flow and budget. It's about helping you plan to pay for your kid's education. Big topic here in the States. It's helping you understand changes in regulations as it relates to here, social security and taxes. That's what your advisor should be doing. And what I see to folks is, why wouldn't you pay 1% or if it's a flat fee for somebody who is taking care of literally all of that for you? So minimizing all stress is related to the management of money, of growing, preserving wealth, and making decisions that sometimes you don't feel objective enough to make because it's your money that you're making the decisions with. So I advise advisors to actually list out all of that stuff. We coordinate with your accountants once a year. We'll meet with your estate attorneys or set you up with one to have basic estate planning documents. I mean, these are all of the value add things that traditionally we haven't tied to an advisor, but that represents highest value. You said an interesting thing when you were talking about feelings. It sort of reminds me of the CEO of Shake Shack, who talks about how it's more important when the customer leaves their store almost more important than the quality of the food is how they feel. And it sounds like it's kind of the same thing. Our job is more to help our clients, our investors feel secure, safe, comfortable, not anxious, etc. And maybe that feeds into what we're talking about today, just with the market volatility. And Greg, that's such a great point because here's how an advisor makes value proposition come to life. If the value proposition of the firm, because I said this before we went live. Tech is not a differentiator, at least in the States, it's not. If you're an independent firm, you have access to the same tech. Services and product and investments are not differentiators anymore. The industry has evolved enough where we all, relatively speaking, and I'm generalizing, have access to the same stuff. It's very rare, this is controversial, to find a firm that's really managing investments so radically different. And by the way, if they are, I'd love to know exactly what they're doing. But We all, generally speaking, provide the actual technical services in roughly the same way. The differentiator is in our ability to, our value proposition is, we 
really understand the client and we listen deeply. If that's the value proposition, then ways that you actually prove that is the conversation we just had a second ago about feeling in the discovery process, asking the clients what they want to achieve as a result of the engagement. What are the actual feelings that you want to feel as a client of our firm at the end of every year when you're looking back on the success and failures of your year as a family? Get the client to articulate that. Identify all the things that you do for them in a given year. And at the end of the year, reflect that back to them. We helped you get here in the States. It was securing PPP loans during the pandemic. We helped you get a valuation on the business that you want to sell. We put a key man policy in place for your business. All these things. How do you feel now? So you're articulating value. You're showing them how you do it. And then you're reinforcing it at the end of the year. Advisors need to be doing more of that if they really want to be the advisor left standing when the robos inevitably do take out the advisors who are just doing investment management. You're certified or you have a certification in advanced behavioral analysis. And we have had behavioral finance people on our show before. And Greg and I are big subscribers to behavioral finance and its impact on people's outcomes. Because like what's going on right now, people are I don't mean to generalize myself, but they'll focus on rate of return. And as you point out, if that person has had a financial plan and like kind of knows where they want to be over the next 10, 20 plus years, the current rate of return is somewhat irrelevant and maybe is just an opportunity to do something with a down market from a trading perspective. But what's your comments on the impact of people's behavior? in investing? I mean, it's everything. This is not a financial services business that we're in. We're in the business of dealing with humans and we just happen to deliver financial services to them. Our entire business is about people and how they think and make decisions and act. And where this specific certification has really come in handy, I mean, it's come in handy in managing a team and understanding the end consumer and understanding psychographics. There's so much that an advisor should be, and I'll tie it to what you just shared, Colin, but there's so much that an advisor should be observing about a client early on. So for example, like if they are overly concerned about rate of return and what is the portfolio doing month to month, there are clearly some belief systems that have been formed in the mind of the consumer that's dictating the way they think about what we do and where our value is. And so really important for the advisor to deconstruct that as early on in the engagement as possible. So there may also be belief systems about a prior experience that the client had with another advisor where Perhaps they didn't have proper expectations about what they were getting or whatever it is, or they didn't really understand risk tolerance. Because a lot of times we'll hear clients complain about, usually it's on the upside. The portfolio isn't performing as high as the market has done. And they come back and say, what the heck? Important for us to remind them about risk tolerance and what their risk is. And so what I say to advisors is, The discovery phase before you even onboard the client or begin, and discovery can happen ongoing. I mean, there's so many things we can learn about clients just by watching how they engage on social media. Are they the type to be very vocal and complain about things? Are they the type to leave a lot of Yelp reviews? 
we know those clients are clients that could be our best advocates and could also be our worst enemies. And so learning these things about the clients to help them manage their own emotions, really important. So if a client is coming to us early on, like I said, and is overly worried and a nervous Nelly type client, we need to understand where that's coming from. What's their earliest memory with money? What's their relationship been like with money over the course of their childhood and young adulthood? Their relationship to money and how they've attained it and what it means to them and what their parents taught them about money actually can inform a whole lot about how they react to the markets and what they complain about. And so if advisors can spend more time getting there, and some of this is like therapy stuff, but sometimes we are therapists as advisors to people. Hope compliance isn't listening, not license, right? We're not giving advice and medicine, none of that. No marital advice, just no, talking zero. about, yeah, yeah. But I mean, if you have two clients, married clients, and you're on a Zoom with them and you're in person with them, and you're seeing that one is really worried and the other one is shooting down the worries and saying, oh, don't worry about that. Or we're watching that power struggle in front of us. What an opportunity for the advisor when they've built enough trust and rapport to say, do I have permission to share an observation about the way the two of you talk through your pain points, Jane, and your reactions to them, John? Imagine the power and influence you can have on clients when you're suddenly, you're not talking about the market or the investments, but you're talking about their relationship to each other and to money. So I know it's a long-winded answer to your question. It's about so much more than the return. Advisors have a unique opportunity to play a very powerful role in people's lives. For sure. So listen, one other question with regards to trust. So how important is trust to the compound value chain of product manufacturer, advisor, investor? How does trust fit in? I mean, it's everything. I think we saw this definitely during post-08 where financial services was ranked second to last on the list of entities or industries that the consumer trusts. This was in the US. It was Congress last, right? (laughs) financial services second to last. Probably hasn't changed much. But when you polled individual clients and investors, their response was almost always, well, but not my advisor. The industry sucks, but not my advisor. What that proved to us is that the individual advisor has focused on building the trust and rapport one-on-one. And I think, look, we've seen that with the shift to independence here in the States. Having a big name company that's been around for hundreds of years doesn't necessarily automatically indicate that there's trust with the consumer. I mean, we've seen that with Wells Fargo. The individual advisor building trust and rapport by getting to know somebody and showing that they've gotten to know them. Active listening is powerful, not just because we're listening, but it's because our hand movements, the way we're looking at somebody is indicating that we're listening to them. That is everything in this business now. And there was a study recently done on high net worth baby boomers and where they want to move money to in terms of profile of advisor. Advisors with the highest levels of emotional intelligence, so theoretically can easily form trust with people because they have IEQ, garnered the most assets from those high net worth baby boomers. Those who garnered the least assets were advisors with years of experience and very low EQ. So you're in the business 30 years, but you don't have high EQ, can't build trust with people, they don't trust you. Guess what? You're not getting new business. 
I've had this conversation with my kids, actually, the importance of emotional intelligence versus the emphasis on IQ. My kids have struggled with school at times, and the emphasis was just on the grade. And I'm like, you're not going to be successful in life or not successful in life just because you got a A or a C. There's way more to it than that. That's what you're talking about is the ability to bridge some gap emotionally with emotional intelligence. Absolutely. Here's a really simple example. Well, two examples. Have you ever asked somebody, how are you? And you genuinely meant it. It wasn't like, how are you? Good. Fine. But it was, how are you? And the person immediately started crying or tearing up. Maybe it's different with men. But have you ever had that experience with a client or person? I had that with a colleague. Caught me off guard. Yep. Or you have a conversation with somebody. They've done 99% of the talking. And then they left the conversation and said, this was so helpful. This was incredibly helpful. In both of those cases, we are displaying EQ as the listener. And what I share with advisors, because empathy and emotional intelligence, you're not born with it. Some people have higher levels of it than others. Statistically speaking, women tend to have higher EQ than men, tend to be a little bit more empathetic, although men tend to be a little bit more mindful, meaning they can compartmentalize and be in the moment more. I mean, there's a whole lot we could talk about with this topic, but... What I share with advisors, if you want to drive your own emotional intelligence and empathy, start by being vulnerable. If someone asks you, how are you? A client asks you, be honest. And it could be things are great right now. We're growing. Great opportunity, by the way, to talk about vision of the business. We're growing. We love that we're helping people. We have room to take on five more households this year. I'd love for you to introduce us to somebody. Or on the flip side, honestly, I'm really struggling with my daughter right now. She's really having a hard time with missing her senior year of school and she's rebelling. Get out of my head. Get out of my head, Penny. (laughs) High EQ. I can read minds now. That's how high my EQ is, Colin. But you see, so once you do that, you automatically start to create this different type of relationship with people where they might eventually feel comfortable sharing with you. So just little tidbits that I would practice if I was an advisor right now. Or just a good human being. I think you're just muted, Penny. Sorry about that. Yes, good human being. I agree. You must have been saying something you don't want to share. There, you <laughs> muted yourself. Greg, what should we do? Should we go on to our speed round? I think we should, but I'd just like to say one thing is, it sounds like, Penny, there's so much more to talk about and that we obviously don't have time in a half-hour podcast. So we'd like to formally ask you back to the podcast in yes. another two years. and <laughs> <laughs> Or even sooner. <laughs> I'll come back anytime and go deep on any of these topics because they're so interesting and really valuable, I think, for advisors. Well, I think that would be great to have a conversation about empathy and mindfulness and how it relates to investment and financial management. That's a whole can of worms that I love talking about. Yeah, you bet. But for fun, Greg, we're running late. We got to finish off with a speed round because we grilled Penny the last time she was here with a very fun speed round. So should we do this? Well, I guess so. If Penny's up for it, what the heck? Hit her with the hard one first. You go. All right, Penny, this is your second try at this. Greg and I were both raised in a province called Saskatchewan. Can you spell Saskatchewan? Attempt two. S-A-S-K-A-T-C-H-E-W-A-N. 
Whoa, Very good. Fantastic. You have been practicing. You Googled that you, before we got on, didn't you? <laughs> guys, listen. If we're going to do this on Zoom, just know that I'm going to Google your questions beforehand and have it right up because I'm a smart millennial. And there you go. Well, there you go. Well, listen, I'm going to change things up even <laughs> beyond what Colin has on our little list here. So we live in Calgary, Alberta. Calgary has a famous event once a year. And people come from miles around, all over the all, world, all over the world to attend this event. What is the event? Oh, and give her a hint. It starts this week. That's right. And there's cowboy hats. I should know this. And there's I don't want another, another member who lives in Calgary. Another clue. It's not my first rodeo. Is it the rodeo? Calgary well, Stampede. Yes, a, you're right. Penny the Calgary oh, Stampede. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. The Calgary Stampede. I thought it had something to do with beer and alcohol. Yep. I don't know. Well, that's yeah. the same. Well, that, that's yeah. there, that's there. Okay, <laughs> that's same thing. <laughs> well, they bring in about a million people a year to this thing, and so wow, there will be some beer. Okay. And this year, by the way, there's a famous roadie. What do you call the parade marshal? A parade marshal this year, and because the Stampede has a big parade, famous parade marshal, an American who you might know from westerns, a very popular western over the last few years, called Yellowstone. And Kevin Costner, Kevin Costner is our yeah, great marshal. Right. So. Oh, get at it That's down. how big this thing is. Okay, you've clearly gotten, yes, Calgary has made it into the mainstream, which is amazing. There well, we I go. mean, actually, like, that parade marshal thing shouldn't be downplayed. Prince William and, and Kate, Kate yes, were the were parade pr- marshals right after they were first married. That's oh, right. okay. So, so it's, it's always pretty big. Time. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. But I prefer Kevin Costner in Waterworld. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, so one of his finer his finer moments. <laughs> a terrible movie. Yeah. Bull Durham was pretty good. Anyways, let's give her one more and then let her go. We maybe had mentioned this, Colin has mentioned this, because even though we were both from Saskatchewan, I had never heard of it. Oh, I know what this is. But do you know what a bunny hug is? A bunny hug. A bunny hug is... A sweatshirt. You're Googling wow, it again. Yeah. <laughs> I caught you. I could see your eyes like darting around on the screen. I was going to guess a hug that you give someone after a breakup to make them feel better. That's That'd what be I would guess. guess. That could work, that yeah, could yeah. work, that could work yeah, too. Yeah. That could work yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. The bunny hug is the famous hooded sweatshirt with the pocket on the front that Oh, is it? Yeah. I have a couple of those. That's we great. all do. Yeah, we all do. Yeah. And yeah. My kids actually, they refuse to call it a bunny hug. They just call it a hoodie. Yeah, come on. Bunny hug is not cool no, in any way. No, not cool at all, which is probably why I had never heard of it. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Who cares about being cool? People with low EQ only care about being cool, Greg. <laughs> you are absolutely right. There you go. That's right. Busted. Yes. Yeah. Busted. All right. Well, we should let you go on with your day. But thanks so much for doing this, Penny. And yeah, we are going to have you back. You'll be our first third appearance at some I'd point. I love that. Anytime. And great to speak to you guys and see you and hopefully see you soon. You bet. Right on. Okay. Well, Greg, till next time. Thank you for listening to the free lunch podcast hosted by the CM group at CIBC Wood Gundy to subscribe to this podcast, to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the free lunch podcast. 
The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2022.